So I want to read a scripture here, and I forgot to put the, the some of it, I think it's Matthew 7. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Matthew seven twenty four. If I'm wrong, tell me, because I'm kind of going off memory. Um, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in, and torrents and floodwaters rise, and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse, because it's built on a bedrock. And a bedrock, as we, uh, those of you who know anything about engineering, which I don't know much, but it's, it's basically the base rock that you have to dig down to, to build upon. And uh, that's what Jesus is, is calling himself here. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. It's like a person who builds their house on a sand. When the rains, rains and floods come, and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And I want to talk today about, we've been we're doing a, a three-week series on the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Last week I spoke on the Father, and I spoke about how Jesus came to reveal the Father. Jesus came to show who the Father was, and unre- unrevealed revelation up until that point hadn't been shown to the earth. They, they, almost, they saw God through like a, a frosty glass. They couldn't see a, the actual picture of that is God, the Father, who is actually so infatuated with his people that uh, it says while we were yet sinners christ died for the ungodly john three sixteen, for god so loved the world that he gave his only son while we were still sinners god gave himself up for us there's this radical love of god i want to pray quickly father i pray that as your word is preached it'll be your words would impact hearts not my words god not my thoughts or ideas lord god i pray that your holy spirit would be here You'd, uh, you'd, uh, you'd anoint, God, your word just to, to bring change in all of our lives. Amen. So talking about Jesus, is a, it's a kind of a difficult one, I think, because well, it's difficult and easy because you can come on at many different angles. It's like, because I could literally, we talk about Jesus every week. He is, we are Christians, which means little Christians. We're followers of Christ. It's all about Jesus. He is the revealed Son of God. He's the point of Christianity. So I'm coming on just from one angle. And I want to talk this morning just briefly on who are you standing on. And I've read that scripture. But I was, I was driving with Starla this week and I was like, I almost had this revelation, which I, hopefully I'm going to bring across to you and in, in a way that you, you're going to get that same revelation. Faith is an unseen thing. Am I right? We have faith in an unseen God. He's not revealed. He can't, can't, doesn't come and visit our meetings in his face and say, hey, I'm God, I'm here. We put our faith in God through the word of God. We believe that this Bible is authored by God for us, his people. And, uh, and it's an amazing thing because it's actually it's so scandalous and so crazy to the world. But we don't just put our faith in faith. So we don't, we don't have just, I have a faith. I have faith in God. I have faith in Jesus, a real person who came to the earth died on the cross, was resurrected again. Historical books outside of the Bible, of the Bible, the Bible testify who he is. And, uh, and for me, that's, it's almost like if you can imagine, there's just this solid ground of faith in Jesus Christ that we need to stand on as believers. Because the reality is persecution comes in any form. Some of you, it's, it's harder. Some of you, it's milder. But if we are not standing on the rock, it's a simple, simple teaching. 
When the wind and the rain come, we're going to get beaten, lashed around. And I've seen so many Christians, when the times get a little bit tough, they collapse. Because they're not, they're, they are not standing on the rock. They're not standing on the bedrock of Jesus Christ. They haven't settled certain things in, the, in their faith. They're still questioning stuff. And I want today, by God's Spirit, to say, let's stop questioning. Let's, let's be, not, it was always question, but like stop questioning the validity of the claims of the Bible, the claims of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said he's either a liar, a lunatic, or his Lord. You decide. You have to, if, if, you, if you, people for, for thousands of years have followed the way of Christ and have changed the world, which I want to talk on today, Jesus' effect on the world. Christ needs to be our bedrock. Is that song, on Christ the solid rock I stand, or other ground is sinking sand. And I think the moment you put your faith in something else, it's going to sink. The moment you put your faith in finances, it's going to sink. We're living in such a crazy time where I think people, again, haven't learned from 2008's disaster and recession. We're going to get back to that place. I'm not being a, a naysayer. It's just, it's just going to happen. And we, need a, I, we as believers are going to see the miraculous of God because we're not standing on an earthly thing, but we're standing on Jesus Christ. And we can trust Him. We can trust Him with our lives. Stahl and I have walked a walk, and it's a slow, progressive walk, and it's almost like slowly you start handing stuff over to God. Maybe when you first get saved, you hand a little finger, then it's a hand. Then it's, once your whole body is in there, there's no turning back. That's the Christianity we're in. There's no fallback plan. It's all Jesus. It's absolutely everything about Him. So that's what I'm passionate about this morning. A guy called Yaroslav Pelikan, a Harvard historian said this. He says, regardless of what you may think about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the most dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. And this is a, a secular guy who wrote about, about Jesus, about the, the, the claims of Christ, about the validity of Christ. And he's saying that he is the most influential person in the past 2,000 years. I want to show a video. Can we show that quickly? On the day after his death, it looked as if whatever small mark he left on the world would rapidly disappear. Instead, his impact on human history has been unparalleled. You're reminded of him every time you look at a calendar or pick up a map. His influence is so enduring that we name our children after his friends while we name our dogs after the rulers of his day. His teachings, applied through the ages, fueled the civil rights movement, formed the basis for the separation of church and state, elevated the status of women, led to the development of hospitals, even inspired the founding of the world's top universities. All this from a man who could have been voted least likely to change the world. Anyone who takes the time to examine his teachings and try out his way of life ends up asking themselves in wonder, who is this man? powerful. I love what it says, that no single person has shaped history as Jesus did. 
And I think we need to understand that we can, we can rest our faith on something that is so sure. The foundation is so strong. I just wrote you, three years, almost no money. Jesus chose the most unlikely rejected people. And this small group of people changed the world. Twelve people, essentially. Jesus, I know, preached to 5,000, so he already had influence across Israel. But 12 people, he left the responsibility of taking this gospel forward. One man. Jesus' impact was greater after 100 years, even greater after 500. By, by 1,000 years, it lay the foundation for countries. 1,000 years later, we've, it is the biggest religion on this planet. One quarter of this earth are, are believers and followers of the way of Jesus Christ. There's, this is undeniable that one man had to have been 100% man, 100% God. And we follow after him with everything inside of, inside of us. Jesus is the game changer. And those of you who have been watching football, World Cup, there's been some quite shocking hap- games that have happened. Um, but there's always, there's, there's always a key player or players that come in and they're the game changer. There's a moment where the team is lagging a little bit and they send in a, a, a guy that can play really well for 45 minutes. I think... Andy Russell's brother was one of those for the Springbok team. <laughs> Brent Russell. He was a guy that they'd put in a little bit later in the game. And he'd go in and score tries. He'd bring energy into the team. And, uh, and for me, in a sense, Jesus, Jesus is the game changer. Jesus absolutely changed everything. And I want to just map out a few things. Okay, so number one, Jesus changed how the world shaped and expresses compassion. I'm going to move out the way so you can all see that. In Roman times, only the wealthy and the powerful were actually regarded as anything. Uh, they, they used to give money to the poor, but at the end of the day, it was to make themselves look good. Let's just look at healthcare. In the ancient world, they used to leave the sick on the side of the road. If you were sick, you were just forgotten. Where, to the point where they used to leave lepers and make leper colonies so people didn't have to touch. Jesus comes in and he breaks all the taboos and he goes up to a leper and he touches you're not a leper, but I'm just saying. <laughs> he, just, he goes up to a leper and he touches a leper. He gets close to sickness, which was so, so kind of uh, not part of that world. If, if you're wealthy and rich like the Good Samaritan, you'd walk past the person who's sick. Jesus comes and he gets up close and he gets personal. There was a plague in Rome in the third century. We've got a photo of that. Not a photo, painting. They never had photos back then. Um, the amazing thing what happened is there were Christian communities. So what would happen, this plague broke out. Thousands were getting killed from this plague. And uh, they would, all the wealthy left the city and the Christians stayed behind and looked after those who were sick. That caused such an impact on the Roman world that it actually caused the, the Roman Empire to become Christian and started from those places. The small group of people who were following their leader and said, listen, I've seen someone on the side of the road. I cannot leave them. I'm obligated. My DNA is now changed. And they changed healthcare systems. You go to the 4th century, the first recorded hospital was, was opened by a monk. Started a monastery, then the first hospital. I know there was ancient medicine and all that kind of thing, but the first where people understand what a hospital is was started by believers of Jesus Christ. The Geneva Convention to alleviate human suffering started the Red Cross. If you look at groups like Salvation Army, World Vision, YMCA, 
International Justice Mission, Habitat for Humanity, Compassion International, Hospitals of the Good Shepherd, the Good Samaritan, all of these have had a touch of Jesus. And that's for me, Jesus' influence, he comes and he stays three years on a, on, in this small little backwater town. He stays most of his time, he spends his last moments in Jerusalem. And he changes the world, his teachings change the world. Israel wasn't even a, a big world power at that stage. Jesus comes along, and it's, it is the most influential place on this planet. Whatever goes down around the world happens in the Middle East and happens around Israel. Jesus uh, elevated the status of women. This is quite a crazy one. In the, often in ancient world, if you were the wrong gender, you'd be left to die or drowned. And going along with that, if you were deformed, deaf, uh, have any kind of deformities, you were often drowned as well. Jesus came... And he put value into every single human life. Paul writes this. Um, actually, I'll read that later. Another interesting thing. In ancient Greece, women were classified as children. How would you like that, ladies? And I, I mean, I, to be honest, I sometimes see it here, where the, the younger son will sit in front, and then uh, the mom and the sisters and everyone sits in back. Women, the gospel hasn't touched their hearts. Jesus ignored, again, the cultural taboos, and he had women fund his ministry. He had women part of his ministry team. There were women that were his disciples. And that shocks the religious mind even today. And I was saying to Star, like, how archaic are we if we think that women are somehow secondary in understanding of the Bible, with the teaching of the Bible, understanding of the Word? And it's like Jesus brought, he, he actually came to abolish all of that. There's still... Obviously, authority structures in the home and a husband's head of the home, etc. I'm not saying that. But up until the point of Jesus, women were regarded as there to just cook and make babies. <laughs> Ramsey's like, yeah, easy, right? <laughs> if you think the woman's right to vote, which only happened in the past 60 to 80 years, it is a Bible idea. There's two ladies that, that impacted the world. There's a lady called Brigid of Kildari. Okay? She founded two monasteries and a school of art in Ireland. She wrote books that people are still reading today. There's another lady called Julian of Norwich, the first woman to write a book in English. And her book was called The 16 Revelations of Divine Love. She's basically talking about the love of God. That is still studied in universities today. And that would not have happened if Jesus didn't come with his... And it's amazing the impact of, of Jesus... His longest preach was Sermon on the Mount. You can read through that in 20, 25 minutes. His words were so weighted that it, he said it and it got recorded and it changed, changed the world 100%. And we're living in a world today that has been molded and shaped by Jesus' words. It's gone to education. Again, only in the ancient world were the elite allowed to learn. Jesus comes along and says, go into all the world and teach. Every single person needs to know this gospel. Uh, just a couple, monks preserved the Bible and classic literature. Um, if you look at Oxford, Cambridge, University of Paris, they all started as Christian universities. So again, I'm just, I'm just painting a picture of this impact of one man who lived here, who, whose ministry was for three years. He had 12 people who didn't have much money, and they changed the world. And for me, the, the, the amazing thing is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will still take any of us, if our hearts are willing to follow Him, follow His ways, submit to Him, He'll take us and He can use us to change the world.
doesn't matter your status, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter where you came from, how you were born, how you were rejected. Jesus is the game changer in all of our lives. The Bible has been translated in two, into 2,200 languages. No other book in history is translated into a fifth of that amount. So, G, so the Bible by far is the, is, the, is the leading way in which literature is spread across the whole world. Uh, we've got a, it's my aunt's brother, so it's kind of technically, I don't even know what it is to me. But he, he's not my uncle, it's my, anyway, complicated. Um, anyway, he, he's been, for the past maybe 20, 30 years of his life, he's been translating the Bible, even today, into different languages on different islands. And it's because of these men and women who've gone out and they've translated the Bible into something new, into the new languages, that, that the study of languages has actually started to happen. So this all happens through Jesus Christ. Let's look at art and literature. There's a guy called Dante. Uh, he wrote, he wrote a, a comedy. Uh, it's called The Divine Comedy in Italian. But that became the basis of, uh, of the Italian language. You have Martin Luther, whose German Bible shaped the German language. You have the King James Bible, along with Shakespeare, that, that shaped English. You have Johannes Bach, uh, one of the most famous um, composers of all time. He said, all of his songs are to the glory of God. And up to 100 and 150 years ago, the church was on the forefront of arts and literature. We, the church was, was the one where you would go and find the culture of art. And somehow we've drifted away from that. I think God wants another renaissance in the church. I think he wants the church to pick up again, uh, hear the heartbeat of God, realize that we are now set free by the Father to create. We are made in the image of God to create, to do something new. Um, did you know... That modern music notation was invented by the middle evil, middle, middle, medieval church. Modern music notation that five, six hundred years later we're still using today was invented through the church. And I think we, I get excited about that kind of thing. As someone who does lean towards being more artistic and more creative, I think, God, would you release something over us? And, and I think it's when we actually just put our heads to the plan, we want to actually see the world change through, through art. Civil rights. Paul wrote these amazing words. I think I've got it up there. It says, There is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And historians say that that was the first egalitarian statement, which means that was the first statement of equality. That it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile because the Jews used to think they were superior. They couldn't even interact with anyone who wasn't a Jew. So it doesn't matter who you are, slave or free. That one line changed everything. Slavery in America was abolished uh, 150, 200 years ago. And, um, and it, it all came out of the Bible. Male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Paul the Apostle wrote that. Jesus changed everything. And uh, there's a guy called Leo Tolstoy. Um, he wrote, he wrote a, a Russian author, but ex- extensively about the, the kingdom of God and understanding the kingdom of God comes within you, this, this kind of nonviolent confrontation. Gandhi read those words, and he changed nations with it. Um, I want to just put a, a video of Martin Luther King. And so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. 
It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. One of the best speeches ever. And that started in the heart of God. That wasn't Martin Luther King's dream. He, he saw this. He saw that in the word of God there's an injustice. And he fought for justice. Next one is science. And the amazing thing is that um, a lot of historians also say that it's, it's through a worldview of understanding who Jesus is. Jesus, Jesus came to earth and he said, listen, I have a father in heaven. The Aramaic word there is Papa, Daddy, Abba, Father. And it changed everyone's worldview that there's a perfect order in which the world was set into motion. And from that place, monks started to innovate. Monks did crazy things, okay? So, first of all, they invented clocks to know when to pray. They invented windmills. You can go read this in history books. This is not me making this up. This is 100% truth. Uh, they went, invented windmills so they could have more time to worship. There were glasses invented. The first spectacles were invented by monks. Another thing. Who likes chocolate? From is an addict. <laughs> um, the chocolate, obviously, cocoa beans, God invented. Okay, so we can't Christian. But and there was there was like a form of chocolate and kind of chocolate drinks in, in kind of uh, in South America. But the chocolate, as we know it, was invented by a bunch of Spanish monks. For me, it's again. I think culture and innovation go hand in hand with the gospel. You, you preach the gospel that causes lives to be changed. Hearts are set aflame. They realize there's this Father in heaven, and we start to innovate and do new and amazing things. And I think God is not finished. There's people in this room, Jeremy, Ramsey, Ryan, Bruce, Gary. It's time to invent things. David invented instruments. David, by the Spirit of God, used to, used to make instruments that were different, that hadn't been seen before. And I think there's, there's something of the creative nature of God that God wants to release on us over a church. And even uh, just feel prophetically like going into our venue, that is going to be a big part of what we're going to do. God has called us to be innovators to, and to be culture makers in the city. The pioneers of science, Francis Bacon, Blaise Pascal, Louis Pasteur, Isaac Newton, all gave glory to God. We need to come back to that place. 
And I think we've, we've, we've handed over innovation to Steve Jobs. We've handed over innovation sometimes to, to, to all these technical companies where I think the church needs to get back into the hub of innovation. So I want to read a scripture, and we'll probably be done in about five minutes. I'm only halfway. Joking. Okay. So for me, and I, I read this somewhere, I think Cormier uh, wrote it. He says, He is the hinge of history. He is the hope of the oppressed. He is the inspiration of the despairing. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the greatest teacher that ever taught. He is the greatest mind that ever thought. He launched the greatest movement ever known. And you think any movement on any form has a a five or ten year lifespan. Jesus' movement has increased over the years. With 2,000 years years later, the church is unstoppable. The Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail because the church is stepping forward and we're running forward. We are the church. We are the people that are part of the winning team. Okay, just imagine, I think Netherlands is probably going to win the World Cup. So imagine we are, we are Netherlands. Okay, I might eat my words there. I'm hoping they do. But we are on the winning team. Go read the end of the Bible. We know that Jesus saves the day. We have this sure rock, the sure foundation on Jesus Christ. So I want to read a scripture, Colossians 1. I've got it up here and then we'll be done. Is everyone good? I'm going to have some water. Christ, Colossians 1.15. Christ is the image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Try thinking pictures for this. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. That's an amazing statement. Now this, this portion of scripture I'm reading is actually a song that the early church used to sing. I thought, wow. I think we might have drifted from like the most solid theology that they would sing in songs. And we, we sometimes just sing songs that are one or two lines. We need to get back to a place where we're singing this incredible theology. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see. Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in an unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. Everything was for Jesus. The whole world was created through and for Him. He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. I don't know if you've ever pondered about how God has always been. It doesn't make sense in our finite minds, our human minds, where God, there was never a moment where there wasn't the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There never was a moment. God created the earth through His Son. I mean, that's just, anyway, blows my mind. Verse 18, Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. He is the first in everything. For God in all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Amazing. We look at Jesus through the Gospels, you find out who God is. And through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. What a powerful moment where heaven and earth shifted the moment Jesus' blood was shed. We celebrated that today. Everything changed. The whole universe changed because of that moment of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. This includes you who were once far from God. You were His enemy separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. The world doesn't like to hear that today. They don't like to hear that we do bad things and that we think evil things. And everything's justified. 
the reality is, Stan and I were talking about this, there's a holy God who demands justice for sin. The, the, the Bible says the wages of sin are death. We were separated from God through our thoughts and through our actions. We were enemies of God. Incredible thing. Yet now He's reconciled you to Himself through the death of, the, of, of Christ in His physical body. As a result, He brought you into His own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. So I'm going to stop where I started. We need to stand firmly on Christ the solid rock. So I've got three quick points. By looking at Jesus, we see what God is like. And I encourage you over the summertime, read through the Gospels. Read through the view that Jesus is showing who the Father is. Because you'll see that, that He is loving, that He is kind, that He, that he, that he is actually so relentlessly running after people who are lost. He has no time for the religious. He has no time for, for almost the enemies of the gospel, but he has all the time for people whose hearts are bowed down before him. Jesus, number two, Jesus holds everything together. All things were created for him and through him. And it's amazing that the early church understood this. Now we, now we live in a fallen world. Jesus never created pain, death, suffering. Jesus never created. We have to settle that. That was due to the fall of man. But God has sent, sent a, re, a rescue plan. God has sent Jesus to heal the world. There's a song there. Just thought of it right now before. God, God's rescue plan is reconciliation. God's rest, re, re, rescue plan is restoration to what we are meant to be like. And the third thing, Jesus is the perfect blueprint for humanity. And I said this earlier, I think we have to realize that when we give our lives to Christ, our DNA has changed. So the Bible says that we get given a new heart. We had a heart of stone. It puts a heart of flesh. And I, I, I'm, I'm becoming more and more understanding this, is that we get saved, so, so we are justified. That's almost, um, that's law term. So we, we stand before God absolutely clean because of what Jesus has done. But He wants us to live out this. And next week, I'm going to be speaking on the Holy Spirit. And I think we need to understand what it means as, for us as believers to be empowered and live through the Holy Spirit. It's, with, without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, Christianity is dry. It, it, it becomes a works religion. It doesn't become a joy. And I believe that, that God, even next week, God wants to touch people's hearts. And those of you who have never been filled with the Holy Spirit, come ready, come expectant, because I'm trusting God that He is going to fill our lives to overflowing. This week, just, just get yourselves ready. Even now. Can we all stand? We're going to pray together. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you, God, that you, that you came. You died on the cross for us. You set us free from our sins. We were enemies. Now we are friends. God, let us, let us never lose the magnificence of this. We get so stuck in our day-to-day lives where it's about our bank balance. It's about where we're going on holiday. It's about uh, dropping the kids at school. God, and we forget the magnificence of Jesus Christ. That God became man, died in our place. And there was a substitution of His sinless life and my sinful life that got swapped. Father, we thank you for that. Let us, 
Let us just this week just be so aware of you, Jesus. And God, we also thank you that your word says that you had to go because you're leaving the Holy Spirit behind. And I pray, God, that in our hearts we would just be prepared to understand more and more of you, Holy Spirit, part of the Godhead, as much God as as the Father and the Son. We invite you this week, Lord God, to just come rock our worlds. Would you come and just show us stuff we've never known? Would you open up your word to us, Lord God? Would you use us this week by your, in your power? Would, would you open opportunities to share the gospel? Would you open opportunities to pray for the sick? We ask this, Lord. We want to do everything for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Awesome. Really, I, just before we all start shifting, let's. When the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, it was like a dove. And you know, a dove can. Uh, we've got pigeons in our house, and they're kind of a semi dove. They're just gross. But I like hit the window, and they fly off. And I think it's the same with doves. They're so sensitive to, to the movement. Let's just let's watch our lives this week. Let's be in the Word. Let's be expecting from God. I think if you expect to be used from God, if you expect the Holy Spirit to use you, He starts to use you because all you are is just a willing and open vessel. So please finish all the food and we'll see you here next week. Great.